Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This sermon is taken from the 2013 Israel and End Time Prophecy Conference. This is the evening service of Monday the 9th of September 2013. Here's Dr. Steve Cook. Well, good evening. It's great to be back here with you, and uh, I'm really uh, blessed that you came out, honored that you came out. And uh, I'm thankful that you've come up. And so uh, we're looking forward to another good evening uh, in the Word of God. And uh, as you can see on the screen, it's uh, an interesting topic. When Egyptians speak like Jews. And uh, I think we have a, uh, an Egyptian back here, right? Both of you or just you? Okay. Okay. Well, uh, he may be the authority on Egypt, uh, but I hope he doesn't mind me talking about his country in, uh, in prophecy. Because uh, Egypt plays a mighty part in uh, end-time prophecy, and it's certainly uh, uh, it's not always a bad thing. And so I'm excited about that. I want to again tell you that I have a brochure back there that explains our ministry. I want you to pick up one of these brochures. And also, I'd like for you to pick up a prayer card. It has my lovely wife, Cozy, on it. She's not with me this week, but uh, pl- please pick that up and pray for our ministry on the back uh, there are several things there that uh, we're involved in doing. I have some, also some, some wonderful tracks. I have a track on this particular sermon, When Egyptians Speak Like Jews, that uh, uh, you can get on my website and read the whole track, and, uh, and I make those available uh, to churches that will use them. Uh, but also, uh, I want to say that we're having a, uh, an Israel prophecy tour, uh, December the 2nd through the 12th, and uh, I would love for some of you to uh, join us. Uh, last year I had people from Tanzania, East Africa that, that uh, flew to, to Israel and met us and, and spent the whole you know, tour with us. Uh, there's a, a land price. If you get your own airfare from England, which is much cheaper than what it is in the United States, uh, there is a land price only. This is eight nights in four and five star hotels, two meals a day, a uh, beautiful uh, new Mercedes, usually, uh, tour bus. Um, all your sites, um, you have an Israeli uh, guide, uh, Boaz Shalgi, who I personally led to Christ outside the empty tomb three years ago. And also, uh, you have an Israeli bus driver. And uh, we will see everything from, uh, uh, from Caesarea Philippi to the north, all the way down to Elat on the Red Sea in the south. You'll see everything from, uh, uh, well, we'll actually go into Jordan uh, and visit Petra. Uh, the land portion of that trip is 1,800 U.S. dollars, which would be about 1,200 pounds. I don't know how much airfare would cost for you from here, uh, but that's a wonderful price. I don't charge any extra to take people to Israel. Now, there are a lot of tours out there that are available, and some and great men of God lead them and host them. Uh, and they charge a pretty good number uh, onto the price of what the trip actually costs. I don't do that. Uh, church, uh, and, and your pastor would never ask me to do this. I know that. But your pastor and his wife have never been to Israel. And, and, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I, last year I took nine preachers with me to Israel. Out of those nine preachers, seven of them were sent there by their church. And I would challenge your church to be a blessing to your pastor and his wife and help them to go to Israel. 
it, it will be the best gift you ever give yourself. Because I know your pastor is a great preacher and a man of God. But when he gets back after having been to Israel, seeing the places that you all read about, uh, there will be a difference, trust me. I went when I was a pastor, and I've taken probably 40 or 50 pastors uh, at least uh, over the years, and uh, more than half of them are sent by their, their, their churches. So, again, it's the best gift you could ever give yourself. Because, now, don't do what my church tried to do and give him a one-way ticket, okay? That's a terrible gesture on your part. No, no. But honestly, pray about that, and, uh, and, and if you could work that out, I'm sure your pastor and his wife would benefit greatly uh, by having gone to Israel and also, church, you would benefit greatly by having allowed them the privilege of going. And if you can go with us, I would love to have you go. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Isaiah, <coughs> chapter 19. Isaiah, chapter 19. We're looking at Israel and end-time prophecy. You say, well, then why are we talking about Egypt tonight? Well, <laughs> we'll, we'll see here shortly. Wonderful, wonderful end-time prophecy here in Isaiah 19. Let's begin reading in verse number 1. The burden of Egypt, Isaiah writes, the burden of Egypt. Behold, the Lord rideth upon a swift cloud and shall come into Egypt, and the idols of Egypt shall be moved at his presence. And the heart of Egypt shall melt. In the midst of it. Drop down to verse 16. In that day shall Egypt be likened to women, and it shall be afraid and fear because of the shaking of the hand of the Lord of hosts, which he shaketh over it. In the land of Judah, it says, shall be a terror unto Egypt, Everyone that maketh mention thereof shall be afraid in himself because of the counsel of the Lord of hosts which he hath determined against it. Verse 18. In that day shall five cities in the land of Egypt speak the language of Canaan. What's the language of Canaan? What's Hebrew? And who speaks Hebrew? The Jews. There's coming a day when Egyptians will speak like Jews. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, your blessing upon the reading of your word. And dear God, I pray you would help us to rightly divide the word of truth, that you would empower me, anoint me afresh, Lord, to do that which you have called me to do, not to bring attention to myself, not to bring attention to anyone except for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would edify your saints, that, Father, you would strengthen our faith, help us to grow in the grace and knowledge that's necessary, needed so much, Father, in these days in which we live. Stir the embers of our heart. Cause them to burn. Cause our hearts to burn as they once did. Give us a burden for lost souls, both Jew and Gentile, because, God, you so love the world, that includes everyone. Have your way. 
be glorified in this message, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> There's coming a day, the Bible says, when Egyptians will speak like Jews. Now, we know that Egyptians don't speak Hebrew, they speak Arabic. Am I right? Thank you. Egyptians speak Arabic. They don't speak Hebrew. Now, they may know Hebrew, but that's not their national language. If you were to read the first 15 verses of the 19th chapter of Isaiah, you would find that in those first 15 verses, God meets out a, an eightfold judgment upon the land of Egypt. Now, Egypt, listen, folks, is a very old, old, ancient nation. Americans think that the world can't get along without them and that God can't make a move without consulting America. I got a newsflash for America. You're one of those young lions of the West. Just over 200 years old, Israel's 5,774 years deep in history, okay? We're, just a, we're not even a young pup compared to Israel or Egypt. Fact of the matter is, over the years, there has been conflict between Egypt and Israel, a nation of Jews. We know what Genesis 12.3 says, I will bless them that bless thee, and what? Curse him that curseth thee. God promises blessings to those that reach out to the Jewish people. I believe he's talking about nations. I believe he's talking about countries. I believe he's talking about churches. I believe he's talking about individuals. God blesses those that reach out to his chosen people. As, as I've already told you, they're not special in any way because of who they are. God didn't choose them because they were special. They became special because God chose them. By the way, the same can be said of you and I as Christians. We became special because God chose us. Bible says before the foundation of the world. I can't explain all of that. I believe that whosoever will can come and get saved. Amen? But those of us who are saved, we are special. The Bible says that we are peculiar. We become a royal priesthood. Heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. There's something special about you and I in Christ. In Christ. In Christ. Well, the first 15 verses reveal an eightfold judgment against the nation of Israel, primarily because of their treatment of the Jewish people and their rejection of the Jewish God. When you look at those 15 verses, you find that it speaks of a time that Egypt will be judged and they will have civil strife and disorder, that they will have despair and hopelessness, that there will be both political as well as religious confusion. I don't know if you've been watching the news lately or not, but over the past two years, it seems to me like a lot of this is starting to come to pass. Because when you look at what's going on in Egypt today, there is civil strife and disorder. There is despair and hopelessness among certain people groups there. There is political and religious confusion. As a matter of fact, when the Arab Spring, as it became known as, began... In 2011, we watched the news and we found that much of what was said in Isaiah 19 began to come into focus. Look at verse number two. God says, I will set the Egyptians against what? The Egyptians. 
And they shall fight every one against his brother, every one against his neighbor, city against city, and kingdom against kingdom. We saw that begin to take place in, April, in, in February of 2011, and, and actually since then. It really hasn't stopped. It's calmed down some, and then it just like a roller coaster, up and down, up and down. We watched the pictures on the streets of Cairo. We saw the tear gas being fired by the police and then the military getting involved. We saw the confusion, the, dis, the strife, and the disorder. Uh, and it was heartbreaking, no doubt, for people who are Egyptian, as well as those of us who love people. I don't care if you're purple like Barney. I love you. Amen? God loves everyone, and I love everyone as well. Now, some people I don't want to go on vacation with, but I love them. Notice what the Bible says in verse 14. And the Lord hath mingled a perverse spirit in the midst thereof, and they have caused Egypt to err. And every work thereof as a drunken man staggereth in his vomit. And what a terrible picture that is, but we've all seen it, haven't we? I saw it the other night walking down the streets of Broadway in Birmingham. Lots of drunks walking around, staggering in their own vomit. You see, God says there's coming a day when this judgment will fall. Now, I'm not saying that this judgment has fallen upon Egypt. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that at least the table is being set. The judgment is coming into focus. We see how that all of these prophecies concerning Egypt in Isaiah 19 could very easily come to pass. When the Arab Spring led to the removal of Hosni Mubarak, there were some things that happened, and one was the treaty with, between Egypt and Israel was jeopardized. I'm concerned about that. Now, Hosni Mubarak was no angel, no saint, if you will. He was not perfect. There were things about him, no doubt, which Egyptians could not stand and others who enjoyed. One thing that this man did do was keep the peace with Israel, and that's vital. For 30 years, they basically kept the peace with the Jewish state in which they bordered. But the people that he kept his thumb on, the Muslim Brotherhood, quickly filled the void when Hosni Mubarak was removed. And in so doing, they also became such powerful political players, if you will, that they became very instrumental in changing the constitution of Egypt. One of their own, Mohammed Morsi, was elected. Now, that election is has many question marks around it because of the Muslim Brotherhood and their strong arm tactics. We found, we, they found tunnels linking Egypt to Gaza where these tunnels were used to smuggle weapons and armaments and rockets and guns and ammunition explosives and what have you. And Hamas, this radical Islamic group, this terrorist organization that basically controls the Gaza, 
fired rockets just last year, pelted southern Israel with rockets, and some of their rockets reached almost to Jerusalem. And they did reach in the area of Tel Aviv. I know because I had a trip planned. Uh, I was hosting 30 people to go to Israel with me. And we weren't certain we were going to be able to go or not. And we got there two days after a ceasefire was put into place. Praise God. Egyptian mobs under this new leadership mobbed Israel's embassy in Cairo. They burned the flag of Israel in effigy. And then they began to murder the Coptic Christians. Now, they've always had issues between the Muslim and the Coptics, but under the previous leadership, it was kept down to a minimum. 10% of Egypt is Christian, 90% Muslim. And the Coptic Christians, they may not have the same doctrinal positions that you all hold and I hold, but they believe in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And these children, these Coptic children, were forced to leave their family to convert to Islam because the Muslim Brotherhood wanted to institute Sharia law. And you know under Sharia law, it is such a strict law that, that, that the rights of women and children and the rights of many are adversely affected. I congratulate the Egyptian people. It took less than 12 months for them to figure out they didn't want Mohammed Morsi as their president. They didn't want the Muslim Brotherhood running their country, taking them from the position they had been into a position I don't believe any person in their right mind would want to go, and that would be under Sharia law. Morsi was removed by the military. Some call it a coup. Call it what you will. But they removed him. Many of the more radical Muslims under, who have the same desires and, and goals of the Muslim Brotherhood began to persecute the Coptic Christians even more, blaming them for the removal of Muhammad Morsi. Egyptians against Egyptians. Brethren against brethren. That's what Isaiah 19 says will happen in the last days. My friend, the world sees it on television. Now, we certainly see only certain things that certain people want us to see. I don't believe everything I see in the news, and I hope you don't either. But I believe the Word of God. And I see enough pictures to confirm that what's going on in Egypt is in keeping with what the Bible says will happen to Egypt in the last days. And I think, my friend, it's just like Jeremiah chapter 12 when Jeremiah asked the Lord, Lord, why do the wicked prosper so? And God said, cheer up, Jeremiah. Things will get worse. Sure enough, he cheered up and things got worse. I think what we see is the setting of the stage. And it's going to intensify. And I think it's going to intensify during the tribulation period. Notice what verse 4 says. And the Egyptians will I give over to the hand of a cruel Lord. And a fierce king shall rule over them, saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts. I don't believe this cruel Lord, this fierce king, has yet been put into place. 
is this? And who is this talking about? And I were reminded very quickly, Daniel 8, verse 23, where it talks about the characteristics of Antichrist, the beast. During the tribulation period, listen to what Daniel 8, 23 says. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. I believe that during the tribulation period, the land of Egypt will fall under this Antichrist, this beast. And when he falls under this beast, when Egypt comes under the control of the beast, things are going to get much worse than what they are even today. Six times we find this phrase in that day. In Isaiah 19. And I think if you look at these six times, this phrase in that day is employed. That you must agree that in that day is speaking of the tribulation period. After the rapture of the church, the Antichrist will enter into a covenant treaty with Israel. Israel will live under a false sense of security. In the midway point of the tribulation, when Satan is cast out of heaven by Michael, the archangel, he comes down to this earth having great wrath, for he knows he has but a short time, three and a half years to be exact, 42 months, 1260 days, or time and time and dividing of time. When the Antichrist comes, uh, is em empowered by, the anti uh, by Satan himself, who is thrust out of heaven, read that in Revelation 12, then we know that at that time the Antichrist will break his treaty with Israel and begin to persecute the Jew. Now, folks, before that, I believe he's going to persecute a lot of folks. Egypt is one of them. And in that day, we find what will happen in Egypt. Let's look at it. The first time we find it is found in verse 16. In that day. Let's read it. In that day shall Egypt be likened to women, and it shall be afraid and fear because of the shaking of the hand of the Lord of hosts, which he shaketh over it. Keep in mind that during the first half of the tribulation period, there are two series of seven judgments poured out upon the earth. First, the seal judgment, then the trumpet judgments. Lastly, there will be a set of judgments called the bold or vile judgments. Each judgment becomes more and more intense as they are poured out. During the first half of the tribulation period, Egypt is going to come under the judgment of God. God is going to shake his hand of judgment over the land of Egypt. Why is that? Because they are the ones who persecuted the Jews. 430 years under the pharaohs of Egypt, the nation of Israel was enslaved in bondage, forced to work for the Egyptians, you know the story. God raised up a, an 80-year-old man, sent him to Egypt, who went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Plagues were poured out upon the nation of Egypt. By the way, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgment, the vile judgment, mirror the ten judgments that were poured out in the land of Egypt the days of Moses. That's not a coincidence. There's coming a day when Egypt 
shall be afraid and fear because of the shaking of the hand of the Lord of hosts. Secondly, in verse 18, we find that phrase in that day. Notice what it says. In that day shall five cities in the land of Egypt speak the language of Canaan. Egyptians speaking like Jews. Now, that's an interesting thought. Why? Why would Egyptians all of a sudden begin to speak Hebrew, the language of Canaan? Well, in order for, for us to really understand that, we have to look at the third time in that day is employed. And notice what it says in verse number 19. In that day, there shall be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar at the border thereof. To whom? To the Lord. Now, excuse me, but I thought 90% of Egypt were Muslims. And excuse me, but last time I checked, Muslims don't offer sacrifice. And, and the reason why Muslims don't offer sacrifice is because they don't have a plan of salvation. They don't have a Savior. Yes, they believe in a Mahdi, one who will come and convert the world to Islam, but they don't have one who can redeem their soul because of sin. There is no need to offer sacrifice unto God because God is not going to reward you under Islam. They don't, but they believe if those who will go to, you ask any Muslim, how can you know you're going to heaven? Well, I can't know I'm going to heaven. If Allah so decrees, I'll go to heaven. Now, they have one means by which they believe they can go to heaven, and that is to become shaheed, a homicide bomber. And they're guaranteed entrance. But other than that, there is no plan of salvation. How sad. How hopeless. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We were shapen in iniquity and in sin did our mother conceive us. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. My friend, everyone born of woman was born wrong because we descended from Adam. And wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death has passed upon all men for all have sinned. And my friend, if we are, our, uh, if we are sinners and we all are, then we have a need of a Savior. I thank God that God gave us his very best. That he so loved the world, he gave us his only begotten Son. Whosoever believeth in him should not what, perish, but have everlasting life. You see, the thing that man has in common, whether you be black, white, green, yellow, purple, I could care less, doesn't matter what language you speak. My friend, the one thing we all have in common is that we were born sinners. We were born wrong. We must be born again. How do, how do you get saved? It was very simple. A, you acknowledge your sin. B, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And C, you call upon the name of the Lord, repenting of your sin, and God will save you. Doesn't matter who you are. God's no respecter of person. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In that day, in the tribulation period, sometime during the tribulation, there's going to be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land. Finally, these Egyptians who have been worshiping as Muslims uh, and worshiping and, and adhering to Islam, they're going to come to a a point where they're going to recognize that, hey, Islam cannot save me. It's a damnable heresy. It's a false doctrine. 
It's not the truth. It was started in the 7th century by a man who convulsed in 610 and his wife told him all he was being spoken to and, and then the angel Gabriel was ringing out his heart and that's when they celebrate Ramadan on that same day every year now. But then in 622, uh, in a cave, there was a man who called himself the prophet Muhammad who believed that God spoke to him, he had vision, and, and other people wrote down what he envisioned. In the creed, convert or die, Islam means submission. Supposed to be a peaceful religion. Convert or die. Well, I'll call it what it is. Wrong. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ways thereof are the ends of death. My friend Jesus said it very clearly, John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Notice what it says in verse 20. This altar unto the Lord shall be for a sign and a witness unto the Lord of hosts. Where? In the land of Egypt. Would you not find that strange to have an altar unto the Lord in the land of Egypt? Muslims don't. Worship by offering sacrifice to Allah other than their submission to them. Notice what else it says. It says it will be a sign and a witness. Think about that. I thought about the Great Pyramid of Giza. You've probably seen that, haven't you? One of the wonders of the world. And full of mystery. Full of mystery. The Great Pyramid of Giza stands as an imposing structure. And you know, I think maybe this Great Pyramid of Giza could very well be the altar. Not positive, but I think it could be. Let me explain why I say that to you. Because the Bible, well not the Bible, but history proves that the Great Pyramid of Giza was built 2200 B.C. That's before Christ. Okay, and, and there's 115,000 stones, and these stones have been made level to within one one-hundredth of an inch. This pyramid is nearly 500 feet in height, and, and the stones are cut on a bevel, and its stones fit together with seams of less than one-fifth of an inch. Now, the fact that this was done in 2200 B.C., and we're living in 2000 or 2100 A.D., if you will, it's amazing. 2000 A.D., I guess it is, 21st century. We're talking about over 4,000 years ago. And they didn't have laser beams and computers, and, and they didn't have the things that architectures have today. They didn't have the things that people who build and construct things have today. They didn't have crane. They had labor, usually slave labor. But not only that, the pyramid, it was so bright that it shone and the light could be seen for over 100 miles away. Now, first of all, let me tell you, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Jesus came into this world where there was darkness and he brought light. He came into this world where there was hatred and he brought love. He came into this world where there was death and he brought life. Praise God. And what we see in this pyramid really is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's all the other pyramids were but mere copies of the great pyramid of Giza. 
My friend, there's been a lot of copycats who call themselves Christ, but they're not Christ. They're not even a good copy of Christ. The great pyramid of Giza never served as a tomb. Isn't that interesting? Jesus came to bring life. Not only that, but its gold capstone was never put in place by its builders because it was rejected by its builders. And the Bible says that Jesus came into his own and his own received him not. The Jews rejected Jesus. Jesus said unto them, did you never read the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous, he says, in our eyes. Think about it for just a moment. Only a capstone on a pyramid could be called the head of a corner because it is. It's a pyramid. It's a triangle. And so the head of the corner is that capstone. And not only that, if you stood in the north opening of the pyramid, you would go down 100 feet to the base of that bedrock. And then it descends another 200 feet into the bedrock on a line, and that line is straight within a quarter of an inch all the way down through there for 350 feet. When you get down there, there's something called the king's chamber. And inside of the king's chamber is a box. And that box is the exact same dimensions as the Ark of the Covenant. Coincidence? No, I don't believe in coincidence. Well, then they, they put that in there later. No, no, no. It, that box is just large enough, it won't fit in the hallway. It's just too wide to go up that 350 feet slope. So that had to be placed in there before the rest of the pyramid was built. Think about that. That was before the law. Moses had never received the law on Mount Sinai yet when this pyramid was built in 2200 B.C. If you look at that angle from the north opening down to that king's chamber where the Ark of the Covenant, by the way, which represented the presence and power of God, Jehovah God, it's 26 degrees, 18 minutes, and 9 seconds. That's the angle. If you stood in the north opening and you measured the angle between the north opening and the city of Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, it's 26 degrees, 18 minutes, 9 seconds. That's why they call that the Christ angle. The bread of life was born in the house of bread. You say, is that true? Yes, it's true. It's amazing. And the most fascinating fact is the height of the Great Pyramid is nearly 500 feet. Now you understand that Hebrew letters have numerical value. And in one word, you could count each letter, the numerical value, you can come up with a total a mathematical sum, if you will, a number. If you were to take all of the numerical value of all of the letters in Hebrews chapter 19, verses 19 and 20, and you were to add them up, it would equal exactly the same number of the pyramid broken down into inches. 
What does 19 and 20 say? In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar at the border thereof to the Lord, and it shall be for a sign and a witness unto the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. Just some interesting facts, but I think it's far more than just interesting facts. I think that it just kind of gives you an idea that the altar in the land of Egypt could very well already be built. You see, the Great Pyramid of Giza is a mystery. No one can understand how that could have been engineered way back then, 4,200 years ago. In verse 20, it tells you why they speak the language of Canaan and why they have an altar unto the Lord. Because it says, they shall cry unto the Lord because of the oppressors. Who are the oppressors? That would be the Antichrist, those who do his bidding. You see, during the tribulation period, it's going to be a time such as the world has never seen. And the, and the horrific judgments poured out upon the inhabitants of the earth and the death and the destruction and the pain and the torment. The Bible says, and if those days were not short, no flesh would survive will be during this time that Egypt will come to the end of itself and realize we need the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We need the Jehovah God of Israel. And they will cry out. And the Bible says, and God will send them a Savior, praise God, and a great one. He will deliver them. You see, 42 years ago, I cried out unto the Lord. I was miserable. And I cried out unto God, and I said, God, save me. I'm so unworthy. I'm so miserable. I don't want to die and go to hell. And I cried out unto God, and God sent a Savior to deliver me, and a great one. The Holy Spirit broke my heart, and I came to an altar of prayer. I bowed down as best I knew how and said, God, I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died, was buried, but rose again for me. And I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I got saved that night. Bible says in that day, verse 21, fourth time that phrase is used, that Egypt will sacrifice unto the Lord. And notice it says, And the Lord shall be known to Egypt, and the Egyptians shall know the Lord in that day, and shall do sacrifice and oblation. Yea, they shall vow a vow unto the Lord and perform it. Praise God. Do you see what's happening here? They're converting from Islam to the true God. And that true God is Jehovah God of Israel. <clears throat> and in that day, Egypt will be sanctified by the Lord. Now, folks, it just keeps getting better and better. Or as we say in America, it just keeps getting gooder and gooder and tweeter and tweeter. All right, watch this. Verse 23, in that day shall there be a highway out of Egypt. To where? Assyria. And, and the Assyrian shall come to Egypt. And... and the Egyptian into Assyria, and the Egyptians shall serve 
with the Assyrian. Now, Assyria, would that be Syria that we read about? Oh, yeah, I think so. Now, Assyria, the, the empire of Assyria was much. It was large. But I believe it won't be Damascus because Isaiah 17, two chapters before chapter 19, talks about the destruction of Damascus. It will be a ruinous heap and cease to be a city. Boy, I tell you what, that could happen today, tomorrow. It could happen very quickly, couldn't it? But the Assyrian and the Egyptian are going to both be converted from Islam to the true God. Verse 24 we see the sixth time in that day, Egypt will be a blessing to the Lord. And I want you to read this. In that day shall Israel be the third with Egypt and with Assyria. Even a blessing in the midst of the land. Now, I'm going to tell you, first of all, you don't often see Israel mentioned in the same breath of God with Egypt and Assyria. Because both Egypt and Assyria were their mortal enemies. But what we see here is that God says in that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, and that they will be a blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people. Praise God. Egypt, he says, my people. Assyria, the work of my hands. Israel, mine inheritance. I don't know if you've ever read that verse, but I'll tell you what, when I, when I saw the words I was reading in that verse, if words could leap off the page and shout glory, that's what these words were doing for me. You see, there's coming a day when the Egyptians, because of the tribulation and trial, the fierce and cruel king who will lord over them, because of their oppressors, will cry out unto the true God for deliverance, and he will send them a Savior. I believe we can almost hear the footsteps of the Lord. <laughs> I believe it's that close. And not only that, but my friend, God says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning from the ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will do it. My friend, one of those examples found right here in Isaiah 19. When Egypt and Assyria and Israel mentioned as a blessing to the Lord in that day. The gist of the message what an example of God's amazing grace. If God can take a country who enslaved his people, Israel, 430 years and multiplied times over, killed Jewish people, and he can save them, my friend, he can save you and you and you and you and me. How marvelous is God's grace. God's grace is greater than all our sin. I've met people who say, well, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. God is able to save the guttermost of the uttermost, praise God. And you know what? We ought not forget that we deserve hell 
And God reached down in tender, loving mercy and pulled us out of the miry clay and set our feet on a solid rock. I praise the Lord that God saved me. For the grace of God, Titus 2.11 says, that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. What men has he appeared to? All men. What is the grace of God manifested before mankind? The Lord Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. God become flesh, dwelt among us, went to the cross of Calvary, shed his precious blood, rose from the dead victoriously, and today, seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for all who call upon him. My friend, I take great comfort in knowing that one day the people of Egypt are going to be converted. People in Assyria are going to be converted. They're going to be a third in as a blessing, the Bible says, with the nation of Israel. God says, Egypt, my people, Assyria, the work of my hand, Israel, mine inheritance. Oh, I tell you, God is good, isn't he? God is gracious. Let's all bow our heads in prayer for just a moment. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this marvelous end-time prophecy. It shows us, Father, that it doesn't matter who we are or what we've done. Father, you still stand with outreached arms saying, Come unto me, all you that labor are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Father, maybe there's someone here tonight who's heavy laden. Father, maybe there's someone here tonight who's never been saved, who's been wondering, If God would save a wretch like them, well, I tell you, God will save a wretch like anyone. If God can save me, he can save anyone. Paul said he was the chief of the sinners because he didn't know who I was. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you're no respecter of persons. I thank you, Lord, that anyone willing to repent of their sin and to cry out for deliverance, that you will send them a Savior and a great one. And that Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Maybe there's someone here tonight who's saved, but they haven't been serving you, Lord. Father, you've spoken to their heart, and and you've helped them to see the urgency of the moment, Father. We're living in such times where the rapture can happen today. Certainly the second coming is, we see signs of the second coming, and there's at least seven years between the rapture and the revelation, between the secret coming and the second coming. I pray, Father, that you would speak to our hearts, burden us, and shake our hearts, Father. Make them burn as they once did. Lord, have your way in this invitation. The pastor comes and leads the invitation. Father, we'll praise you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.